0: Stories, fables, ghostly tales. The risks involved with eternal youth. A hit job gone wrong. Our light is snuffed out for good. Lightning masks are killer. And an acting job goes horribly wrong. For the actor. Welcome, listeners to your set of six short scary stories written by five lovely redditors that have given me the green light to bring their stories to your ears. Firstly, there is explicit language in this episode, so keep the little ears away, and secondly, I must thank the authors for today's episodes, Dr. Coz, Soapy Ribnaught, Richard Saxon, Long Con silver 13 and McJunker. For your spine-tingling short stories, today I'm drinking Golden Earl Grey, and let me read out the description of today's tea. The gold tips of this highly sought-after black tea are sun-dried and oxidized naturally, produced in extremely limited quantity, and are almost impossible to find. Blended with an extraordinary bergamot, this tea astonishes with a malty, honeyed flavor. Definitely one of the fanciest Earl grays I've ever had. And it is just as delicious as the description suggests. <laughs> I feel like I should be drinking this with a monocle. <laughs> Seriously, a good tea. Yum. So join me with a tea of your own, turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and get ready for something different. Youth, by Richard Saxon. The debates went on for years, almost spanning across the entirety of a decade. We had the technology, but there was a question of morality and method of implementation. We had invented what we call the Fountain of Youth. A metaphorical name, of course. In the end, this was all down to advanced science. Disease had been eradicated, alongside genetic failure, and as we got older, our bodies would no longer age a day past 25, and we would enjoy that youth until we were randomly killed off in an entirely painless and peaceful manner between the ages of 80 and 90. To achieve this random time of death, a small fragment of DNA was implemented into each pregnant woman which would subsequently be passed on to their children. The newborns would gain eternal youth, but also a programmed death. Somehow the activation caused instant cardiac arrest in their sleep. The downside of course being that the generations born prior to the Fountain of Youth would be the last one to age and die from natural causes. A separation occurred between the youths and the elders. As you might have guessed by now, I am one of the few remaining elders roaming this planet. My body might not be much older than those of my peers, but I certainly look the appropriate age. For many, this was Utopia. No longer having to live life fast to gain all the goods and securities this world has to offer. Only to be too old. To appreciate it. Now people could take their time and enjoy life. Unfortunately, Utopia never lasts forever. Something happened last week. For a reason I cannot fathom. The death genes were all simultaneously activated, and overnight, we lost 95% of the population. We, the elders, have gathered to find a solution. But being too physically old to breed new children, it's only a matter of time before humanity is wiped out. In our quest to live forever, we created our own Armageddon. Job number 62 by Soapy Ribnaught Parker glanced down at the envelope on the seat and slowly picked it up. Job number 62 was printed in bold on the front, a stark reminder of how many he'd sent to their graves. Opening it, he retrieved the files inside and looked at them once more. A photo of a couple smiling stared back at him. He wondered what the hell they'd done wrong to deserve a visit from him, but as ever, He put that thought to the back of his mind. He holstered his silence 9mm and put on a clerical collar. Not the fanciest cover story, but he always preferred simplicity. The woman answered the door, less glamorous than the photo, but unmistakably her. She looked puzzled at first, but spotted his neckwear and shot him the same smile that he'd seen in the photo. Good morning, father. Can I help you? Her voice sounded frail. Good morning, ma'am. It is I who would like to help you if I can. I understand that you are recently bereaved? He spoke softly in his well-practiced pattern. He knew they had lost their son fairly recently and were both devout, so it gave him an excellent opportunity to gain access to their home. Oh, thank you, father. Please come in. She ushered him through to the kitchen. He spotted the man from the photo sitting at a table. Sitting opposite was another, younger, woman. Shit, he thought. He wasn't expecting anyone else. And his contract only contained two. Whatever remained of his tattered conscience still upheld the sanctity of a written contract. He would have to bide his time. He took a seat and accepted some tea. The man and younger woman were quiet, they occasionally glanced at him, but, apart from thanking the woman for the tea, remained silent. "'I am so sorry for your loss, sir. If it helps any, I can—' He trailed off. He couldn't speak properly. His tongue felt like a lead weight. He panicked slightly and turned to raise his hands. They, too, were now unimaginably heavy. Confusion flooded over him and weighed down his entire body. He raised his eyes to see the woman walk back into the room. She looked different. A harder, colder visage than she had been previously. Perhaps you remember my son, Mr. Parker? She said, throwing a photo on the table in front of him. He looked at the photo and screamed inwardly. No sound was capable of escaping him anymore. You do remember him? She snarled. I think you knew him as job number 55, though. She deftly removed his holstered pistol and put one round between his eyes. The darkness he had served for so long finally came for him. She stepped back, smiled, and threw an envelope on the table. It had one line of text printed in bold. Job number one. Let There Be No Light, by Dr. Coz.
1: You sacrificed everything just to see me. I hope you're
0: happy with this, said the old man. Not to just see you, to ask, I replied. Ask me what? Why? Why all of this? What is the meaning?
1: My child, the short answer to that question is... I don't know, but since you came all this way, I suppose you want the long version. I'll start at the beginning. I don't know how or why I came to be. I just did. I was an infant with immense power and nothing to do. I created the universe, galaxies, stars, and planets. But that wasn't enough. I wanted something after what I had started to call my own image. I created you, along with a beautiful planet, full of all these wonderful things to keep you occupied. Then I sent you directions on how to ultimately come and be
0: with me. But what's the point of it all? Couldn't you have just made us be with you without all of that? Child, there was no point.
1: I was a boy with an ant-palm. I had no idea what I was doing. I just did. If it's any constellation, I did my very best to keep things as good as possible for all of you. But they aren't. That's the whole point. They aren't good. Why?
0: The old man flickered for a moment.
1: Ah, yes. I thought you'd ask that. To answer that, let me ask you something. What is darkness? Is it the opposite of light? Or the absence of it? The latter. Precisely. All the bad things that happen do so in my absence. Are you blaming
0: all the evil of the world on us? What is it? That we don't let you into our hearts enough? I felt my voice rising. He flickered again and sighed.
1: You misunderstand me, child. When I said my absence... I meant it literally. Remember, I told you that you were modeled in
0: my image. I nodded. The flickers were coming on more often now.
1: Therefore, in a sense, I reflect you, your strengths, and also your weaknesses.
0: What are you trying to say? I said as my anger was slowly being replaced by a feeling of dread.
1: Child, I said my power was immense, not unlimited. I realized that all too late. The more of it I used, the bigger the gaps became, which I could not fill. The more my power depleted, the more powerful my opposite became. Are you saying that he is more powerful than you? It's been like that for some time now. I did what I could to hold it off. But the more I did, the more I lost. My legs gave way and I fell on my knees. So there's nothing more to be done. I'm afraid not. This is goodbye, my child. I am sorry.
0: As the old man gave a final flicker and faded away, I felt the darkness growing around me. Safety First by Soapy Ribnaught Jason looked at the script and smiled. Sure, this was only an industrial safety film, but he felt he owed it to his profession to give it his all. For one thing, he was pleased to have the work. It had been six months since his parents had died, leaving him alone and friendless in the world. He'd subsequently ridden a wave of depression that had threatened to drown him. A life jacket had arrived in the form of Dominic. They'd met at a bereavement counseling group and Dominic had taken him under his wing immediately. He recommended Jason to the producers and now here he was, script in hand and preparing to get back in the saddle again. The director walked over to Jason and put his arm around his shoulder, pointing to a forklift truck parked about 15 feet away. Jason, I want you to walk from point A to point B. You'll be on your phone and be distracted. On my mark, the forklift will move towards you and hit you. Do you think you can manage that? Sure! He replied. Do I have to play dead? No! (laughs) The director laughed. We need you to scream, my boy. Summon your inner Fey Ray. And give it all you got, okay? He nodded his affirmation and took his mark. Once the director called action, he slowly walked across the warehouse floor, lost in the static screen on the dummy phone they'd given him. He heard the forklift move towards him, and prepared for his moment. He was in the middle of an internal debate over which style of screaming to use when the forklift struck him. At first he was confused. He stared down at the tines on the truck fully penetrating his abdomen and wondered how this had been fucked up so badly. He couldn't scream like he was supposed to, and somewhat bizarrely worried about going off script. He could hear his own blood cascading onto the floor and began to feel light-headed. He slumped forward resting his head on the cold steel of the forks. In his rapidly darkening peripheral vision, he saw the director walking towards him. That's perfect. Looks like we have a wrap, people. I'll see you all in the bar after cleanup. Jane is sitting in her kitchen, having something to eat before going to the bereavement group. She hates being alone. And despite her scepticism, the group seems to be working. She is also looking forward to meeting Dominic again, Not only is he a fantastic shoulder to cry on, but he said he can get her some acting work again. Lightning Strikes by McJunker The storm raged outside her house. Her window was shut and locked, but the blinds were open, flashes of lightning illuminating her bedroom periodically. If she had been awake. Those split-second lightning strikes might have shown her a horror story. The bright light from the window would have shown her door was suddenly open just a crack. When the thunder boomed after, it disguised the creak of the hinges as it opened wide. Silence and darkness then, and nothing more. The next flash of lightning would have shown a man in her room, with his hands raised to his chest level. Flash! 1-1000, one, one 2, two thousand, 3 And then thunder shattered silence again. He timed his step to the noise. And the lightning turned his patient prowl into a stop motion stage play. The roar of God's artillery was not on her side tonight. As he got closer, the angle changed. His shadow from the bright lightning coming from the window slid off his front and drifted to the side. If she had been awake, she would have seen the sterile white painter's overall he wore over his clothing. His hands were now clearly covered by thin black gloves, and his choice of weapon, thin piano wire curled around each forefinger and stretched tight, would have caught the glint of light. If her head had lolled on her pillow differently, faced the door, maybe that glint of wire would have bled through her eyelids, maybe woken her up, maybe given her a chance to scream. There's no one who could say for sure. Flash! One-one-thousand. Two-one-thousand. Three. The thunder cracked again. The man stood over her sleeping form at last. He could do it now. And probably make it. But she was a few inches out of reach for that risk-free perfect strike. Better to wait than take a chance. One more lightning bolt should do the trick. Patience and discipline pays off. Every predator knows this. There's a Serial Killer in My Neighborhood by Long Con Silver 13. Old Jebediah Worthy fell down the stairs in his house last night. An unfortunate accident, they said. Last Thursday, Myra's Fisher's house burned down with her in it. We all knew cigarettes would be the death of her, but figured cancer would get to deliver the punch, not an inferno. The Monday before that, Giles Northcott got locked in the freezer in his butcher shop. A tragic shame with a faulty lock mechanism. And on the first of the month, Lucy Nagel had won too many of her county-famous snickerdoodles and her poor little heart couldn't take them anymore. Four suspicious deaths in less than a month, and yet the police see and do nothing. How can they be so fucking blind? I've tried telling people. Anyone I can find. Someone is hunting the sinners in this town, The drunk, the gypsies, the rapists, and thieves. But they all just laugh at me. The only thing Worthy is guilty of is having sermons run on too long. If baking good cookies is a crime, then sure, lock up Lucy for life. Yeah, $7.50 for a pound of ground beef is kind of extortionate, but it's Giles. The only person Myra Fisher ever hurt was herself. But they're wrong. I know they're wrong. I Worthy is a deviant, who told any young girl he could find that sleeping with him would absolve them of their sins. Myra Fisher was an alcoholic junkie who would lie, steal, and beg for her next fix. Giles Northcott used his prices to fund his gambling addiction. And Lucy Nagel watched her mother die a slow and painful death so that recipe could be hers. She didn't even throw away the rat poison. It's stuff like that that makes me so disappointed when I see my friend Keith drive drunk so I decide to be a good friend to him. I buy all the rounds for him, and hell, I even offer to be his designated driver. I drop him off outside his house. I live just down the block, so no one will see me walk from his house to mine. I position him in the front seat and turn on the carbon monoxide. It finally occurs to him what's happening, but the muscle relaxer slipped into his third brandy of the night, leaves him powerless. Just before I close the door, I lean in real close and whisper to him, I warned you. Wow, where do I start? I'll briefly explain what I liked about each of these stories. Youth, a great twist on the real risks of science meddling with our life cycle. Job number 26... Yet another twist where the assassin is assassinated. I didn't see that one coming, well done. Let there be no light, a unique take on what it means to meet thy maker. Lightning strikes, great use of the environment to take the audience out of their comfort zone. And there's a serial killer in my neighborhood, a mix of the killer seeking to be caught. An interesting insight into the killer's psyche. And a great take on a well-worn road of serial killer tropes. Do you have a favorite? Which one did you enjoy the most? I enjoyed every single one, but I'd love to hear what spoke to you in this lineup. Now, if you want to support the show, all it takes is a couple of seconds to click on my iTunes link and bam, you can leave a review. It really helps, not just me, but also the authors on the show to get more exposure and reach more people. You're really helping, and I'm seeing more and more reviews come in, and for that, really, thank you so much. It's this sort of encouragement that keeps my authors and listeners writing and the podcast's blood pumping. I'll be doing a set of shout-outs soon for YouTube, iTunes, and Soundcloud, so be sure to say hi and feel free to send in your own stories to storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. And for those of you who are already leaving iTunes reviews and comments, well, I have not forgotten, <laughs> oh no. When you leave a review with your name or a comment, I'll be able to add you to my shortlist of thank yous and I can then thank you directly on the show. So again, thank you so much listeners for being your awesome selves and I'll catch you tomorrow, yes tomorrow, for yet another set of awesome stories, perhaps something about rituals. As always, till next time. time.